Hey everyone, welcome to Shift, or welcome back if this isn't your first time here. Shift is a daily podcast where the thoughts and insights presented center around shifting expectations and being in a constant state of growth. I believe that radical accountability requires true vulnerability. Hopefully you find value in the content presented, and if so, I hope that you'll visit the website togetherweshift.com and check out some of the other resources available in the tools section. Now let's get to it. What's happening, everyone? Welcome to Shift Podcast. This is the final episode of season one. And today I interview Ben Cooper of the Professionists Podcast. Ben used to be a lawyer and he worked in Australia. He worked in London and now he lives in Texas of all places. And he works with young professionals and young adults who are in career planning, trying to help them figure out what a career path may look like. He helps them decide how to shift careers if that's what they need to do. We had a great conversation. We talked a lot about what's going on culturally. We talked a lot about what's happening in different career paths, different sections of industries. And I think you'll really enjoy it. I certainly enjoyed getting to know Ben, getting to talk about what's happening, getting to talk about what he does and his experience. And I think, you know, if you're a young adult and you're looking to try to figure out how to figure out what you want to do, you'll get some insight from it. And uh, overall, I just think it's a really great conversation. So I hope you enjoy it. And this is it for season one of Shift the Podcast. We are going to take July off. We're moving the family. We've got things to do. I'm going to put some focus on them. And then in August, I will start recording season two, and that will drop sometime in September. So in the meantime, share the podcast, catch up on the episode you've missed, and let us know what you think over at Together. No, feedback at togetherwechef.com. And enjoy your summer, guys. We'll talk soon. You know, we've been talking about the culture and the season and where we're at and how how uncertain things are and i'm really fascinated by what you do in coaching young students and helping them find a professional path especially when like i mean i got a i got a kid who wants to be a tiktok star <laughs> and i'm like i don't even know like but that's a job there's people that make a living doing that and and who knows how long that'll last i know it's 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 the kind of thing where you used to say i'm sure as a parent you're like oh, look 2% of people, like being a professional athlete, you can say, hey, there's this 1%, 2% of people who make it and, you know, you have to have a backup plan. But then you have people who are pulling down tens of thousands of dollars a month for taking pictures of their dog on yeah. Instagram or TikTok. And so, it, I mean, it is one of the most entrepreneurial times uh, to be to be alive because there's so many ways to build a business uh, in ways that just didn't exist 10 years ago. Yeah. It's, it's a really interesting time. And I, I work with students who are interested in going into different professions and they sometimes wonder if it's worth the effort because they've seen someone who's found a, a niche on YouTube or TikTok and they've figured out a way to make money doing that without having to go to graduate school, yeah. for example. So it's, it's, a, it's an interesting time, I think, especially for you know, that um, millennials and uh, this this new generation coming through zennials, I've heard them described as as yeah. well. Yeah. How hard is that to help them navigate whether or not that's sustainable, right? Because, I mean, 
yes, you can make money at YouTube or TikTok or these things, but I feel like the concern I have as a parent, certainly, you know, and, and someone who hosts a podcast and uses social media and, and thinks that I certainly don't consider myself an influencer in that respect, but someone who's fascinated by how that works. I always wonder like how sustainable is it? And I always see like these Instagram reels or TikToks that are like the behind the scenes. And it's like your 15 second TikTok that took me three hours to produce. <laughs> like it's a real job. It is real work. It, it is work. It really is work. Um, and a lot of the big social influencers, it's not just them. You know, they've got a, a team of people mm. who are, you know, running that business behind the scenes. Um, I, I think the hardest thing is the, there are these, this youngest generation right now, uh, they have a reputation for jumping between jobs very quickly mm. and not necessarily staying somewhere and having an expectation that they're going to be in positions of leadership very, very early on in their careers. And I think those that do pursue this path, they do have the freedom to be their own boss, but you you can't jump in and out of it. You've got to be really consistent in order to, to make it successful. I think what's interesting is that the old logic was always go to high school, graduate high school, go to college, get your degree, and that would be the, the ticket to the middle class. Mm-hmm. And, you know, certainly from the data I've seen, college graduates do earn more than people who don't have a college degree. The difference is they also have a lot more debt than people who don't go to college. Right. And so I think a lot of high school students and college age folks are wrestling with, is this, is this the best way for me to get ahead and and achieve my dreams? Uh, Is, is this a good spend of my time and money? And in some cases, yes, it absolutely is. And in, and in a lot of professions, you have to have a college degree in order to go on and get your necessary graduate degree, law, medicine. Right. Uh, but there's also a lot of degrees out there that don't naturally lead to anything. And I think that's going to be very interesting in the next few years, especially when you look at the way that we have democratized education. You can go on YouTube yeah. And yeah, you can find a, a guy on a making a video on how to build a dog kennel, but there's also someone explaining Bitcoin and yep. stock market. And I mean, there's an incredible amount of free quality information out there. And that doesn't even include the stuff that you can pay for that's, that's out there that, that, that is still going to be really helpful, useful information. So I think that's going to be interesting in the next 10 to 15 years is- yeah. Because you see companies like Google not requiring college degrees anymore. And so I just think that presents an extra crease for young people to be thinking yeah. through. Do you think it's fascinating to me because, you know, I have, like I was saying, I have a large family and, and we homeschool. So our kids are, are currently outside of the education system or the school system where mm-hmm. they're heavily educated thanks to Khan Academy, YouTube, yep. different online programs, much of which we get for free. Some we can pay for. And what's fascinating to me is that they get to learn what they want to learn when they want to learn it. And I find that they retain it better. And that always leads to like another level of interest and a deeper understanding of the topics, as opposed to like, you need to learn this today. And then tomorrow we're going to learn something completely different. And you get to tailor it too in a really unique way. 
You know, if, if your kid is interested in architecture, then you can find a bunch of books so they can get those English skills, get those uh, composition skills while focusing on the thing that they're interesting. Yeah. In, interested in. I, I got a buddy who homeschools. He's got six kids. His 12-year-old is reading Augustine's Confessions and, and engaging in meaningful conversations about it. Uh, yeah. At 12, I went to a state school system. I would not have had a clue. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really fascinating because our kids are all in such different spaces. And like, I have one son who I, you know, I don't fancy myself a car guy. I don't really, you know, I want it to work, but I don't necessarily know how it works. (laughs) Um, You know, I'm grateful for mechanics and friends who know those things. And when he turned 16, he bought a car and wanted to swap the engine and tune it and make it go faster. And I was like, good luck. That's not, I'm not the dad that can teach you that. And he bought a second car, did an engine swap, did it all on his own, paid someone wow. else's electrical because it was beyond what he wanted to. He could have figured it out. He was just like, it's like spaghetti. I don't want to mess with it. But I watched him learn this. And now at the age that he's at, his critical thinking and his problem solving and his logic just through going through that exercise like was amplified because now dots connect easier for him than other people. And I could have tried to force feed that to him, but it would have never worked. And so I'm fascinated by what's going to happen, like you said, in the next 10 or 15 years, because I think outside of like medicine, law, and maybe finance, but with with the emergence of like crypto and some of the things that are happening, I'm not sure finance is going to require degrees. And so I'm wondering like what your thoughts are on how to how to coach and and guide young, young adults into career paths that are really ever-changing i i think the biggest asset they have is their youth and and what i mean by that is they have time uh i work with a lot of students and young professionals who under who are under great deals of self-imposed stress Mm. and that's some of that stress is coming from this pressure to have everything figured out before their 25th birthday and it's it's self-imposed or in some cases it's parentally imposed. Yeah. I but wonder the reality how is parental having a hard time shifting from the old, you know, the old thought processes to this wild, wild west. Um, well, I think that's part of it. I also think in a social media generation, there's a perception that all of their peers have got it figured out. Yeah, and that if they haven't got it figured out, they're, they're behind. And so I think those two factors are big pieces of it. But their youth allows them time to make some teachable mistakes, to try some, some things. Uh, you know, maybe they try a business and it doesn't work out. You're 24. You yeah. learn from it, figure out what didn't work out. And if you really want to run your own business, then go back to the drawing board, get a job to pay the bills while you figure out the next business. Yeah. And, you know, you can try a few of these things before you're 30. And if nothing pans out, you've got a bunch of great experience that you can leverage into some other career. But if you feel like there, you don't have that time and you need to make a decision, sometimes you make the wrong decision and you end up in a career that you spend a lot of money pursuing. Yeah. But ultimately realize I am miserable and unhappy. Miserable. Um, and, and, and so I, I just think I'm a, I'm a big fan of people having gap years, whether that's a gap year between high school and college or between college and perhaps grad school. Yeah. You know? Yeah. We're, um, 
it's it's interesting to me because I'm a huge fan of Gary Vaynerchuk, who I'm mm-hmm. sure you're aware of. And yeah, I, I think he's he's got a following for a reason. You know, he's really straight to the point, doesn't sugarcoat things, and yeah, a lot of people want that. Yeah, and I think he struck a chord with people, letting them know like you're young, it's okay, go explore, go yeah. play, go figure it out. And I'm I'm sort of I'm not as a homeschooler, I'm not anti-school. Like I would I would still be in college if it was up to me. Like I'm a learner, <laughs> I love academics, I want to know everything. It's part of the reason why I do a podcast and talk to interesting people is I want to know all these different things. And and I think like my son, who's who's 21 now, when he was 18 as a homeschooler, as a homeschool graduate. And all of his high school friends, you know, high school age friends were going off to college or going off and experiencing things. A lot of it was they were all anxious. They all some of them were on meds. Some of them were 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 clinically depressed. Some of them were, you know, potentially suicidal. And and he and I had really hard conversations about where that was coming from. And a lot of it self-imposed. And some of it was, you know parental influence of we don't pay for your car if you don't go to school and we don't do this if you don't get this kind of grade and it's such a weird thing because i look at it through the lens of like you know especially in school when you look at a textbook that's published in you know 2008 and it's 2020 you're like yeah it's old information it doesn't it doesn't apply to today and then I think the social media pressure is is another piece that like you kind of mentioned, like everyone has this perception that everybody's got it all figured out because we only see the best of their experience. Nobody sees the behind the scenes with the six cameramen and the 17 takes and the, you know, all the yeah, all the stuff that's required to put out this facade. And, and yeah, I can't imagine being a 20 something today. I'm I'm really grateful I was born when I was born and I don't have to experience that for well, myself. I think the, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, you're good. You're good. We're just going to flow. I think one of the the other things too, and I'm, I'm guessing we're probably a similar, similar vintage, is there has been, I don't want to blame it all on helicopter parents, but but culturally we have taken away a lot of responsibility from young people. I mean, you think about our grandfathers, they were, they were working at 14, 15 years of age with, with adults. Yeah. They, they, they grew up quick mm-hmm. and we have periodically taken away that responsibility from young people. And I think as human beings work is, is we are designed to work. Now that doesn't mean we're designed to work ourselves to death, but there's human dignity in, in doing work and what I hope we see, and I think people like Jordan Peterson have become popular because generationally a lot of people are hungry for this, mm-hmm. is giving people some ownership of their, their outcomes and, yeah. and not just saying, hey, I'm a, I'm a victim to my situation. Uh, I'm instead going to say, hey, this thing happened to me and it sucked. Yep. But I can choose to just live here. Or I can say, I'm actually going to take some responsibility. I'm going to get myself to where I want to be, which doesn't mean it's plain sailing, you know, and that's not to say that people don't suffer some really crappy situations with setbacks. But I think that attitude of, okay, this happened, but I'm not going to allow it to define me is attractive to a lot of people who have never been given opportunities to 
come back from something. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I have a lot of, you know, freshmen in college who are used to mum and dad picking up the phone to their high school teacher saying, little Johnny and little Jane didn't get this essay and can you, can you just accept it? And th- that's not helpful to them because right. they've never had a chance to make a mistake where the consequences are actually pretty unimportant. Yeah. Oh, you got a D and an English test. Okay, fine. But if you haven't, that's not going to define you. It's not going to prevent you from going to college or having a great life or whatever. But if you have never allowed someone to make a minor mistake where the lesson can be learned, but the consequences aren't that great, the older they get, the more serious the consequences are. Yeah. And if you've never had a chance to learn from some of those mistakes, it, it just it's just a rude awakening to adulthood, I think. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I'm a huge fan of Jordan Peterson and and I know he gets a lot of flack for some of the things he says. And I think a lot of that's just the way that it's marketed. Because if you really just take the words and listen to them, they're they're correct. <laughs> There's an article on The Atlantic, and I'm I'm not gonna get the title exactly correct, but it was something along the lines of why can't people listen to what Jordan Peterson has to say? And and I think part of his narrative has been hijacked politically. But if you yeah. actually just read the words, mm-hmm. um, there's an awful lot of truth. But I think he is um, one of many. So I'm a, I'm a massive fan of Jocko Willink. Mm-hmm. Um, and Extreme Ownership was a book that really was a great kick in the pants for me, but in, a, in the best possible way. Uh, David Goggins is another yeah. guy. And, and so I work with a lot of young students, and it's not just – the guys, there are a lot of young guys, but there's also young women who are reading this and saying, you know what, I, I am going to, I am going to create some discipline in my life and I am going to hold myself accountable to a standard and I've got a plan and I'm not just going to talk about, I'm going to, I'm going to execute. And that's fun to watch. Yeah. Uh, It's the most rewarding part of my job is seeing people realize, Hey, I have a vote here. Mm-hmm. seeing them put a plan together, maybe they make some mistakes and seeing them kind of pick themselves back up, move forward. I mean, that's, that's really fun to watch. And I think that's what a lot of people are hungry for. Yeah. I think we've, I, I know you kind of said you didn't want to blame it on helicopter parents. I'll probably <laughs> say I will um, to some degree. Cause one of the things that we as parents that I certainly, I don't want to say struggle with, but I certainly am mindful of, is how much freedom we give our kids to explore, to play, to fall. You know, there's a lot of instances in my life where I've been somewhere and other parents or even my wife on occasion has said, Hey, you know, that's dangerous. What's going to, I said, well, it's only going to happen once because they'll learn like their own. This is how we learn. And I, I think that there's so much value in having the experiences, you know, I've got a couple of adult children and things that I've told them would happen, you know, Hey, you come from a family that has addiction issues. You want to be careful with X or Y Mm -hmm. and those things have happened and they've come back as adults and said, yeah, you were right. But I knew that they would have to experience those things on their own. I can plant the seed, but they're going to have to experience them on their own. And if I keep shielding them and protecting them and preventing them from feeling the pain, then I think what happens is when they get into a place where they do experience pain, they, they have shell shock and they're like, Oh my gosh, I don't know how to deal with this. I don't know what to, yeah. I don't know how to respond. 
and their whole world kind of falls apart around them and they don't recognize how to pick themselves up and, and, and figure it out. And so for us, like one of the big things that we focus on is much less the academic stuff and much more the abstract, like how to critically think, how to learn, how to figure our way through problems. Cause they're going to show up. They're going to happen. You're going to have problems. You're going to have challenges and, and knowing how to learn and how to think is, is for me so much more important than knowing, you know, who are the, who are the access powers and who are the, the other guys and, and those sorts of things, right? Like it's, so yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting. And I'm curious for, for your experience, like um, what is that? How does that show up in coaching um, young professionals who have maybe come to that crossroad where they hate their job or they hate their choices. And, and is it, do you find that it's hard for them to admit or do they have to like really hit bottom or like, what is that like helping someone recognize like, okay, I'm on my own. I've made some bad choices. It's time to make a shift. It's a good question. I think, I think people get an inkling that it might not be the best fit, but they, they look at it. And it's kind of the sunk cost fallacy. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've invested all this time. I've invested all this money. Then you have, you know, I have a lot of parents who have a lot of their own self-image tied up in what their child has achieved. Mm. And so they get the parental pressure, even though they're no longer living at home, they're out of college, is still this kind of delayed onset adulthood. And so the, the parents still exercise a lot of influence over the, the children well into their twenties, sometimes, sometimes even later. Yeah. And so even if they have this inkling that it may not be the right path for them, they sometimes stay a little longer than they should. Uh, the flip side of that is sometimes you have to embrace the suck for a little bit and you realize actually once I've learned how this business works and once I've realized that my boss is being hard on me, not because they don't like me, but because they want me to be, better, they can actually come out the other end and, and end up staying in that industry. Um, one of the best bosses I ever had was the hardest on me. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until later on where I was like, this, this guy taught me some incredible lessons that I use to this day, even though at the time it was not necessarily a picnic every day, but I yeah. will forever be grateful to him for, for the way he taught me. Uh, I think because of some of those parental pressure issues, I think a lot of people really have to bottom out before they decide to make a shift. Really, Not everybody, but as a generalized, I think a lot of young professionals will stick at it, especially where graduate school has been involved just because it's involved extra cost yeah. and money. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I think the, the, the difficulty when it comes to making a shift as a young professional is also the reason to do that as a young professional. So if you decide to change careers in your thirties, in your forties, in your fifties, can it be done? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It can be done. Is it a picnic? No, you have to be willing to take a step down. It's very, very rare that you can make a career change laterally. Most of the time you need to take some steps back before you can catch back up. Uh, You have to be prepared to change the way you live because you have to build a war chest. You Mm. have to build up a financial reserve so that when you do take that pay cut, 
you can still keep the lights on and keep your kids in school and all of that fun yeah. stuff. So it's harder when you're older because you have more responsibilities and you have a little bit more at stake. It is a little easier when you're 27, 28 and you've been out, you've tried something, you've given it a, a real go and it hasn't panned out. You still have a lot of youth and a lot of time to make that that shift. So uh, I think it's a good idea to you know to make that change sooner rather than later, but at the same time to caution people against um, just quitting and moving when things get difficult. Yeah, that's interesting. I the sunk cost fallacy is one that I would have probably leaned into the most. Cause I, you know, I, I went, I went to school, I have a degree in interior design and I have the student loan that comes with it. And I have all <laughs> the, all the, all the things that go around that. And that was sort of my second career from hospitality. I wanted to go, originally I wanted to go to school for architecture through various reasons. I didn't, I wasn't able to. So I've, I landed in hospitality cause it's the, it's an easy trade when you live in Las Vegas and, and, and as good money. Yeah. It's, you know, it was great money, but I went back to school. I got my degree in design and I only did that for about five or six years. And then 2008 hit and the markets crashed and the housing, yeah. boom, the housing bust and all the different things that happened. And I ended up back in hospitality. So I was grateful to have a trade that I was able to fall back into. Um, but for me, where I, where it really, really hurt was exactly what you said. Like I have a student loan. I've invested this time. I went to school, Mm -hmm. did all these things. And now here I am, you know, 10 years post-college with, and what I do has absolutely nothing to do with my degree. And, and I I still have a student loan to pay back that, that is, you know, emotionally, you know, is kind of brutal. If yeah. I allow it to be, you know, I have to look at that and go, okay, that was a season and that was a thing. And you do the things and, and it, it's, it's a crazy thing. So I get where, you know, 20 somethings are like, I don't want to take on the debt. I don't want to, I don't want to fight the fight. And, and having that parental pressure, not recognizing how the world has changed has got to be just really difficult. Um, and I don't know that I have a question there. I'm just, I'm kind of just fascinated by the dynamics of all of that. Well, I mean, I think it's probably a good place to just jump on into how do you, how do you even figure out what it is you want to do? And, yeah. you know, like my parents didn't have a college education. Uh, I was the eldest child. Uh, now, I enjoyed reading. I enjoyed writing. I enjoyed public speaking. So, you know, at, at surface level, law was was a good fit. Um, but here's where, it, here's where it circles back. I didn't. I didn't talk to anybody. I, I never talked to a single lawyer before I went to law school. Mm. I had a very particular, I mean, I, I grew up on John Grisham. Uh, a Few Good Men was one of my favorite movies. This very kind of idealized picture. We, we're of what definitely the was like. the same vintage. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and I think, I, I mean, I know I would have still gone to law school. I actually enjoyed law school and um, there were, there were parts of being a lawyer that I, really did enjoy. And it, it opened up. I mean, I just would not have had the opportunities that I've had. And I don't think I would be here had I not, in fact, I know I wouldn't have been here had I not gone and and had a legal career. Now, what I would have done, however, is talk to a bunch of lawyers over and over and over. So the idea is you talk to people who are doing the thing that you think you might be interested in. Yeah. And I still would have gone, but I would have done things 
really differently. I would have focused on some different things. I would have been more deliberate about certain things. And so I think part of the reason a lot of young people find themselves unhappy in professions is because they, they haven't taken ownership of deciding what it is they want to do. And, and part of that is we, we force pay people to make decisions when they're 18 yeah, uh, with very little experience. And we don't really teach students at yeah. the high school level about financial education or yeah. financial management. So they're, they're signing up for stuff and, and not really knowing why. But I think what I would encourage anyone to do who is of that college age or even high school for, for that matter is to figure out some of the jobs that you think might be appealing to you and then start reaching out to people who are doing those kinds of yeah. things. And you're going to talk to some people who like what they do. You're going to talk to some people who are treading water. They don't hate it, but they have a mortgage yeah. and three kids. And so they, they just keep at it. And you will talk to some people who are miserable. And you yeah. need to talk to every one of those groups because the idea is you talk to a, you talk to a good number of them and you're going to begin to see trends. The happy people made some fairly similar decisions. The miserable folks you will find generally makes certain decisions, you know, and you might think that a career is this incredible, awesome career path. And then you start talking to people and you're like, Oh, this is, this is actually kind of different to what I, to what I thought it was. And I think I would just encourage people to take ownership over their own career selection and not be told what to do um, by anybody, but to explore it and on their own. And I think people would be surprised at how willing people are to share their experiences if you just make the first step. But again, we're talking about social media. I think it's been even, it's been made so much worse by COVID is that the, uh, I think there's a general anxiety about reaching out to somebody that you don't know, especially an adult when you're a young person. Yeah. Uh, but I, I would just encourage anybody listening to to take that first step because the worst that can happen is someone says no, in which case you're exactly where you are right now. Yeah, I think that's tremendous advice. Um, I did not speak to anyone in the design and architecture community when I went back to school. Mm -hmm. And there were aspects of that career that I loved. And much to to like kind of what you said, there were other pieces that had I known that that part was 80% of the job, I probably would have figured out a different way to do, you know, the things. Cause I wanted to create, I wanted to paint, I wanted to play, I wanted to do, and that's great. And we get to do that as designers 10% of the time. Yeah. The other 90% is chasing clients, doing paperwork, you know, all that. Stuff. And I'm curious what your thoughts are about like, um, cause two things that jump out at me. One is like, you mentioned how we have, kids at 18 making decisions. And it's like, man, there's not much I would trust an 18 year old with at this point, you know, cause you talk about like, we kind of talked about like grandpa was working at 14 and had life experience and had done things and had been around. And most 18 year olds, they're just not in that same mindset in this current culture. So like, I'm curious what your thoughts are around, like, how do we shift the cultural conversation into Maybe you don't need to start college till you're 22. Maybe you need to go work, you know, a landscaping job or a, a, a be a lifeguard or do something else to just experience life and shift that sort of mindset around you graduate in 
May from high school and you're in college in September, like that, that's not best practices from my experience. Yeah. So there's a few things to unpack there. 18 year olds can make great decisions and they can make responsible decisions. We have 18 year olds in the military who are rolling around in multi-million dollar pieces of equipment. Uh, but they're also given responsibility. Sure. And I think, I think we have to, and there's a, a book by Jonathan Haidt called The Coddling of the American Mind, mm. which is a, a fascinating read. And I, I think one of the things as parents is to be able to allow your, your, I'm reluctant to use the word children, but your students to have some responsibility early on in life where there is some room for them to make mistakes they, that they can learn from. And as they learn from their mistakes, they will start to assume more responsibility and you can trust them with that responsibility. So I am not for a second suggesting that 18 year olds should not go to college, but I do think that they need to be more informed about their decisions. And, you know, if they're not going to have opportunities to do that in high school and at home, I'm a huge advocate of work experience. Now, part of that's cultural, right? So in Australia, uh, we don't have majors in the way that you do in the United States. If you go to university in Australia to get a bachelor's in engineering, that's equivalent to a master's here because from day one for four years, the only thing you study is engineering. There's no language. There's no Aristotle. It's yeah. engineering for You're four years. You're not doing two years of general study and no. math, writing. It's and just- if you get Yeah. And if you get two okay. years in and you decide, hey, this is not for me and you want to go do something else, the clock starts again. You go back to zero. Mm. And so if you didn't know what you wanted to do, then it was very acceptable to be like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go get a job. Uh, and I think that would be, help even if it's just a year i think yeah. it helps mature you in a way my my very first job i was like maybe 15 or 16 and uh it was working in a in a kitchen as what i lovingly call a dish pig uh <laughs> and it was a, you know, it was a kitchen mm-hmm. and i really enjoyed cooking and i i thought for a time you know what i could maybe go and apprentice and become a chef and that seemed a really romantic, idyllic lifestyle because I enjoyed cooking. I enjoyed mm-hmm. the science of it and, and, and the process of it. But that job as a kitchen hand helped me realize that, like, okay, they're, they're hours, uh, not nine to five. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's high pressure. It's high turnover. Um, and so that experience helped me realize early on, okay, I, I actually don't want to be in a, in a kitchen on a full-time basis. Um, I want to, I want to have a different skill set, and that meant going to college. Uh, I just think we are in such a rush right now to get from A to B. And I just would encourage anyone who's listening to, to just step back for a second and say, you know, measure twice, cut once. I have a, a, a buddy of mine who's, you know, did 20 years in army special forces and his, his uh, expression is don't, don't rush to failure. Yeah. You know, so I, I think get good information, do your, take responsibility for your own research and decision-making. doesn't mean you don't ask for help. 
doesn't mean you don't have people that you go to for guidance, but you have to take responsibility for the for the career paths and the decisions. Decisions that don't pan out the way that you had hoped. Yeah. But that's that's part of getting to where you ultimately want to be is not being afraid to make a mistake. Yeah. I think it's I think the idea of of slowing it down is is has a tremendous amount of value. Um I heard a phrase from uh the pop singer Jewel once in an interview. <laughs> and it, it's the that's, weird- that's that's really stamped us right now, time wise. Yeah to know oh, who Jewel com- is. Completely. Um, but she said hardwood grows slowly and that, that really stuck with me because, yeah. it, uh, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with Gallup strengths, um, as yes. a, an assessment, huge fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have my, you know, we have a strengths coach for our business and, and, you know, my top two strengths are activator and achiever. So I like to, you know, leap before I look and just get like, let's go, let's get right to it. Mm-hmm. And I've had to really kind of work on practicing slowing down and thinking through a few things um, because I, I have found that, that sometimes just, just taking a breath yeah. has helped me. And so, you know, and I don't mean to sound like, you know, 18 year olds aren't capable because I, I'm constantly amazed at what my, my younger children and what my adult children have done. It's it, it, and at the same time, it's like, because we aren't teaching financial stability, because the world is shifting, especially like through an American perspective with like social security and the end of life, you know, what worked for my parents and my parents' parents isn't really an option for me anymore. And so for my kids, it's going to be even less of an option. And so like, how do you, because we're not teaching that in high school or, and, and, and some form of young adult, because maybe that's the role of the parents to do that. And so I'm certainly trying to do my part to do that. It seems like it would be beneficial since kids are in school 60% of the time that the schools take on some of that, that responsibility too. Because when I was 18, man, I was invincible. I, I don't want to think about when I was 65. And, yeah. and, and my 14-year-old certainly doesn't want to talk about when he's 30. Yeah. Yeah. How do we, how do do you have any insight or any thoughts on what you've seen that's maybe been beneficial to helping 20 somethings recognize that like, yeah, being a TikTok star is great and you can make a ton of money in a short period of time, but man, is that sustainable or not? And, And what do you do to be smart with that and not, you know, get your Bitcoin Lambo? Well, I mean, the, the thing is to, yes, you can, there are some people who make a lot of money on TikTok, but there's millions of TikTok accounts and there's millions of Instagram accounts and there's millions of them that make no money. Yeah. It's still I'm, a really small them, percentage. <laughs> <laughs> it's still a small percentage of people who make the kind of yeah. money that, that people look at and go, that's what I want to do. Um, I think part of it's cultural, you know, uh, you and I remember what it was like to have dial up internet. Mm-hmm where, you know, if you jumped on Napster and you wanted to download a song, it, it could take you two hours to download a three-minute song. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you wanted to find out what was the history of the Korean War conflict, you had to go to the library and get, and get a book. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes the book was quicker than trying to look it up on dial-up internet. Mm-hmm. And so that just cultivated a little bit of patience. 
which is not to say it was perfect, but it was, there was, a, you, you had to go through a process to get information. Yeah. Now we don't bother trying to memorize or learn information because we have these phones that we carry around Yeah. and we just, we just Google it and we get an answer. Now that answer may not be nuanced and it may not encourage us to go and read different sources and consider different perspectives. But the point is we can get something instantly. If I'm hungry, I can get on my phone and get on DoorDash and I'll have food from pretty much anywhere I want in my area within 20 to 30 minutes. Yeah. That's just not something you and I had growing up. It's funny to me. We still call it a phone when the thing I use it the least amount for Exactly. Calling someone. It's still a yeah. phone, but it, the, the last thing I do is call people. <laughs> like, I, and, and so, I mean, I don't want to be, I, I really, I don't want to be that guy who's like, oh, you know, when back when I was a boy, but I think from a, for, from a perspective of how do we help people learn patience? How do we allow people the space to make informed decisions that are their own? Got to let them make mistakes. Yep. If you rush something when you're 14, maybe that's your, you know, you're you're running around the pool when you shouldn't be to get somewhere and you slip over and you, you know, you break your you break your wrist. Yeah, it sucks, but you learn a lesson. Yeah. Um, you know, you try you try a job as a 17 year old and you're like, I'm going to try this. this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go sell mobile phones, and then you realize, oh wait, wait a minute, that's not as productive or as uh, profitable as I thought it was going to be. Maybe I do need to go and spend some time focusing on my grades. But when you take away opportunities to fail, you take away opportunities to learn. And yeah. we, we, we talk about how, well, young people aren't this and that. Well, it's like we haven't given a lot of the time, we haven't given them the, op- the opportunity to learn that through experience. And so I think the biggest thing is encourage people to take informed risk not reckless risk, but informed risk and allow them to make mistakes where the consequences are teachable, but not life altering. Yeah. So I'm going to make a hard right turn. Let's do it. Cause you talk about allowing them to make mistakes. Yeah. And I couldn't agree with you more that, that I think that's a really valuable thing. And I just, I just shared some thoughts on mistakes. Like I, my, my children, don't get disciplined or punished for making a mistake. Yeah. The first time. Yes. Like if I, if I'm playing basketball too close to the garage and it goes through the window, then, okay. Oh, I didn't think that through mistake. No big deal. Let's talk about it. Let's learn from it. Like you said, and then let's not do that again. Second, third time that happens, now you're being disruptive. Now you're being rebellious. Now, now we have an issue that we need to we need to address, right? And I'm curious from your perspective on like are are you finding that people are less willing to make mistakes or to take risks because of the cultural shift that we've kind of seen? into cancel culture. You know, we talked about like Jordan Peterson a little bit. We talked about some of the other thought leaders or people who are sharing, you know, what seem to be controversial, but don't really, in my opinion, need to be. Are you finding that people are like, I'm just going to put my head down. I'm going to do my thing because man, yesterday's mistake is tomorrow's like unemployment line. Yeah. I, I think the cancel culture is 
I mean, it's been brewing for a little while, but I think it's probably a secondary symptom. I think the social okay. media is probably the biggest reason because think about all the, all the things that we did when we were kids, all the mistakes that we made. Oh, you know, I'm so grateful they weren't on Instagram. <laughs> someone was not recording everything you did. Like if you happened to fall down yeah. a set of stairs, there was no one waiting for you at the bottom of the stairs with a camera yeah. that they can then upload to their social media for millions of people to see. Yeah. And so I think, and when you see the consequences of that, and there's, um, you know, there's plenty of stories of people having something done to them or a mistake and it might not be anything controversial, but just some silly mistake that becomes a viral video or a viral um, meme or whatever. And it, it has not always great consequences for them. Yeah. And I think that kind of has played into this culture of play it safe. Uh, don't embarrass yourself. Uh, you know, and there, there are social, obviously social media is a complex thing. There's people who've built entire, yeah, you know, social media businesses out of being that way. But I, I just think there's definitely a, a role or, or a, uh, a liability to be to be placed at the feet of social media. But I also think, I just think culturally things with the way we raise children has changed. Like yeah, my parents would say, Hey, we're out of milk, jump on your bike and ride down to the store. Or, you know, we'd go and play out in the street and then we had dinners at six o'clock, be back by six. And that, that just doesn't exist anymore. We, we don't know our neighbors. We, are uh, yeah hyper alert to risk. Um, I think the other thing, you know, kids in the eighties, parents worked a lot, you know, um, and, you know, Gen, Gen X, you know, they had grown up with parents who worked and worked and worked. And so, you know, I've, there's been lots of um, scholarly investigations into Gen X, for example, where when they became parents, they were the total opposite to what their parents were. So they were super hands-on, yes. super involved. And so I, I, I think there's got to be some happy medium where you are kind of sitting up, keeping an eye out for, you know, the boulder that's about to fall into the gorge underneath. But at the same time, you know, giving them opportunities to not be told what to do, but to learn what to do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm a Gen X parent and we're certainly in the camp of we're more hands-off than hands-on. And in many ways, we're the anomaly of our friends groups. Yeah. We're like, Oh no, they're yeah. outside with a, with no shoes on and running through the street and, you know, playing and, and we're mindful and, you know, we definitely lean into the risk end of things a little bit, I think. Um, yeah. It's pretty, it's interesting to me how that all sort of plays in because I also think that like this generation is one of the most creative, you know, and, and they're, they're huge risk takers. And I think part of it is because they feel like, at least in my talking to like my adult children, they feel like they don't know what's the future holds. So they're going to live it out now where, yeah, we were definitely like the 20 year job, the 30 year career, the social security, the retirement. They're like, mm -hmm. none of that shit's going to be there for me. So I'm going to get mine today. Yeah. Which is definitely way more of a risk taking 
uh, a mindset, I think, than than what my generation had. I mean, we were we were rebelling against, you know, damn the man and all that. And we were like still going to college and getting jobs and, and doing that stuff. It was a lot of talk, you know, um, yeah. where I see this generation is like really um, they may not have the resilience that previous generations had, but man, they're willing to put it all out there for like Dogecoin, which is a, <laughs> a meme. <laughs> but, yeah. But again, it comes back to when you're young, you can take a bunch of these yeah. risks. And if it all goes pear shaped, you have a lot of time to make up for that. It's a lot different if you're a 50 year old and you bet the farm on Bitcoin and it blew up in your face. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, again, I think, I think living for now has a place that doesn't yeah. mean it's a great way to go about living your life. Cause if that's, if you live for just the now um, you're also going to miss out on a lot because you don't learn delayed gratification. I'm so, I'm so grateful you brought that up. I, I just read an article and I can't even remember where, but it talked about one of the missing pieces is this, the current, and I don't even want to put it on a generation. I don't want to say, you know, Gen X is better than, than one or the other, but like in this current cultural moment that we're in, everyone is sort of shifting away from delayed gratification. Like you said, you go to DoorDash, food shows up, I go mm-hmm. on Netflix. Like I talked to somebody the other day that was like, yeah, I'm going to watch this new Marvel series, but I'm going to wait a couple of weeks until there's seven episodes. So I can watch them all at once. Yeah. And I was like, man, there was so much good in like having a cliffhanger at the end of a season or an episode <laughs> and having to wait for the next show. Like, and if you missed it, man, you missed it. Yeah. But I, I, the delayed gratification is a piece that I think a lot of people maybe have not even heard because it's kind of gone away with that instant gratification that we have with these mini computers in our hands. Yeah. And I, I, again, I don't want this to be, oh my gosh, this generation's lost. It's a disaster. No, They're, not at they all. Care, they care about things in a way that I don't think generations before have, you know, they, they have a desire to, to do good things. I think, where you marry risk or a willingness to take calculated risk um, with delayed gratification is classically seen, I think, in careers. So, okay, you've got this job, you've been there 12 months and you haven't been promoted. That might be because you have 12 months of experience and you're not worthy of being promoted. Mm -hmm. Um, It doesn't mean it's because, you know, okay, boomer, your boss doesn't like you. But if you can delay that and say, okay, I thought I would be a little further than I was, maybe maybe I sit down with my boss and respectfully say, can you please help me understand what I need in order to progress in this career? And they might say, I'm really glad that you said that. You know, we see you as having a lot of potential and a lot of talent. We want to give you a little bit of a roadmap. And that's going to mean instead of just jumping ship and going to the next job, maybe maybe delaying um, that expectation while you take care of some of these things that your boss or supervisor might identify you. And then by, by doing those things, yes, it might not happen today, but you might actually be in a much better place 18 months down yeah. the road as, yeah, as a consequence think, of that. I think that's really, really smart. And it kind of goes back to the, you know, living in the present has its, you know, its benefits. Yeah. And, having some roadmaps, having some goals, 
Um, part of what I do in my other life is a little bit of coaching. And, and before we jumped into this interview, I was, I was coaching a, a colleague of mine in some of her goals. She called me very excited about her new goal list. And yeah. as we unpacked them, I was like, well, those aren't measurable. Like let's, let's drill down. And, and I think having the ability to kind of set short-term, long-term goals and have mm-hmm. those and being able to pivot. And I think one of the upsides to where young people are at today is their ability to pivot is much greater than, than previous generations. Cause you know, they recognize that they'll probably have two or three careers over the course of their lifetime now where, you know, 30 years ago, that meant you were a failure. Like, what do you mean you're shifting yeah. gears? What do you mean you're, you know? And, and so I think, yeah, it's not to bash one or the other. It's just a, it's where we are and we get to choose, like, is it amazing? Is it not? Is it, how do we find the balance? How do we look at, you know, cause I love that I have a phone that does everything. Like yeah. they told me when I was in high school, I had to learn all this math because I wouldn't have a calculator in my pocket. Well, guess yeah. what? I have one on my wrist. <laughs> it's not yeah. even in my pocket, you know, like that's amazing. There's so much great that comes out of it. Um, and there's this really great book that, that I reference often um, when I talk about cultural things is it's called when, why beautiful people have more daughters. And it presents this really cool understanding of how our brains evolve and why we still like large breasted women, you know, instinctively when the real reason for that is, is that we subconsciously think they can feed our kids better when logically that it has zero bearing on our ability to do that. But the reason is that like your, the way that our brains evolve is based on a small amount of stimuli over a long period of time. And where we live today, there's an enormous amount of stimuli over an extremely short period of time. And our brains aren't able to process the, the, the bits and pieces. And so we're like Neanderthal brain dealing with, you know, current day technology and stimuli and all the options, which a lot of times when you have so many options, it's overwhelming. And so like, wait, I'm curious how you got to a place where you felt called to actually help people narrow those options down to what they really want, maybe what their real purpose is versus just a career. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I think part of it was based on my own experience and then also kind of just thinking over an extended period of time, how do you decide what you want to do? Yeah. So I think I had personally got to a point where I was very, very, uh, unhappy where I was. Um, I was at a, a large firm. Uh, I had a job in a time where, you know, we talked about the financial crisis. Mm-hmm. A lot of people didn't have jobs during that period. So I had a lot of things to be thankful for, but I was commuting uh, an awful lot. I mean, my my trip to work took me 90 minutes each way. Mm. So that was three hours of travel every day. Uh And I just did not enjoy what I was doing. And so I had decided I could go somewhere else, but some things would be different. Some things would be the same. And so I started to think through, well, if I'm not going to do this, what else, what am I going to do? And uh, that eventually led me to, to, to come to to Texas and was working with college students uh, before I started doing this current role that I'm in now. 
And I think what I realized from my own experience was you have to figure out what it is you actually value. And, I, and by values, I don't mean be nice to others. I mean, mm-hmm. do you value being a part of a team or are you a, more of a, a lone wolf and you like to be left to work independently? Do you like the kind of role where it's constant and predictable or do you like it to be varied and different every single day? Do you like the freedom of just working from one contract to the next or do you need the stability of a full-time long-term job? And once you figure those things out, then you can actually start to figure it out. What, what is it that I'm going to do? Because you do those interviews that I mentioned mm-hmm. and you start to hear about these other careers and professions and you begin to be able to assess whether or not they line up with those values. And if they do, then this is something we need to explore in some more depth. If they don't line up with those values, then you can cross it off and move on to the next thing. So I think yeah. you've, you've got, and it sounds so, it sounds so cliched and in, to some extent it is, but it's also, you know, it's also got some truth, which is what's the why, you know, why yeah. do you want to be a doctor? Is it for the prestige? Is it for the money? Uh, because if you want prestige and money, there might be an easier way to get those two things. By the way, those two things in and of themselves, not going to make you happy. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of doctors and lawyers out there who have prestige and they have money. They don't love what they do. Yeah. And, if- and, and sorry. No, no, no. I was just saying, Tony Robbins talks about the, the, the science of success and the art of fulfillment. Like there's a formula to be successful. Yeah. Which is the money, the prestige, the, the, the things, right. But there's a, there's an art to what fills your cup, what brings you joy, what, cause it may not be the job that might be something that the job brings or like, there's an other, there's another layer to it that I think is super important. Well, I think to, um, those things that you talked about, the money and the prestige, I think they're, they're the fruit rather than the plan. And, and I think one of the things I encourage people as they're exploring careers is I am not an, I'm not of, a, of the thought or of the mind that if you do the thing you love, you'll never work a day in your life. Mm-hmm. Go and talk to a professional athlete who mm-hmm. has spent their entire life training for a sport they love. But when they are a professional, they will all talk about, I'm a professional, I'm going to work. Yep. It's called work for a reason. Now, I love what I do. I love it. But it's work because there are days where I would rather be chilling on a beach with my buddies (laughs) uh, than than be at work. But that doesn't mean I don't enjoy it. That doesn't mean I don't like it. But I think when we buy into that idea. It's like, well, if I'm not happy this week, maybe it's time that I look for another job. Maybe this isn't for me. And it might just be that you're in a season where you are doing a new kind of work or you have a client and then you have to step back and say, Hey, what can I learn from this situation? Maybe I can learn how to deal with a difficult client. Maybe I can learn how to deal with a difficult supervisor and I say this knowing full well that in my own 20s experience, didn't always, didn't always do that very well. Um, but I think that's something just to remember is we, we sometimes paint careers like they're this 
ideal thing that we have to strive for. And until we find this perfect career where it's, you know, rainbows and unicorns every day, if we don't have that experience, we're not in the right career. And, and I just would say, Hey, try and find what your values are. Try and find a job that meets most of those values most of the time. Yeah. And just realize that sometimes work is going to be work and it's not always going to be exciting. Sometimes it's not going to be that enjoyable, but if you've found something that meets most of your criteria, you're already ahead of the crowd. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a ton of value in that. And I, I, mean, I remember having a conversation with my oldest son a few months back where he was kind of at a crossroads, you know, what do I do here? What do I do here? I'm not liking the way this is happening at my job. Mm-hmm. And I kind of said, look, you know, you're, I don't really know what to tell you other than in my, you know, 25, 30 years experience working, everything you just explained to me has happened to me at every job I've ever had. Yeah. <laughs> There's just some days that suck. There's just some yeah. things that you got to look at. And, and I love the way you phrased it. And like, does it meet most of my values most of the time? Cause I think that's really the key is, you know, yeah. Some days are going to fire on all cylinders and some days are going to grind. Yeah. You know? and, and for us, we've been lucky to land into a job or a career that people ask me, like, it, it seems like you guys are never working. And I'm like, well, it's cause we've turned our job into our lifestyle, you know? Yeah. And I like it that way. It's good. It's a balance for me that, you know, and, and when I use the word balance very loosely, cause I, I kind of tend to think balance is a myth, right? Like there's seasons of, you know, I'm, I'm wrapping up this season of my podcast and the next two months is us moving our family to a new home. And mm-hmm. because we have a large family, it's, I'm taking extra time to ground them in that and create new systems and new things. And so I'll do less work, but I'll be way busier. <laughs> like, yeah, it's, it's just, how do you choose to look at it? Right. And how do you choose to feel about it? And I think, you know, for a lot of people, it's, looking for this idyllic sort of existence. And it's like, regardless of what's happening throughout the day, you can choose it to be idyllic. If you recognize what are your core values, I think it's a really great place to, to direct people's attention. Um, and also like, I'm curious, cause do you talk about how you can be doing a thing that looks to, like, I wanted to be a teacher. Yeah. You know, I was kind of like architecture teacher. And, and what I do now, I feel like, someone asked me like, what do you want to, what did you want to be when you're a kid? And I was like, well, I wanted to create stuff and, and teach. And like, that's exactly what I do. You know, I have a podcast. Uh, My wife and I have a health and wellness company and we educate people on, on how to take care of their health. And, and yeah, we sell product, but at the core, what I do is teach. It just looks way different than standing in front of a classroom with a bunch of kids or, you know, so I'm curious, like how you can kind of, do you help people navigate like you could do that core thing, but it may not be, it might be for a recycling company instead of a financial company or. Uh, and I think too, it's okay to have a passion. That's just that it's, it's like you, you don't have to convert a habit, sorry, a hobby into a business. Um, and I do think that just generally speaking, we, we, we tend to look at success very, very narrowly. So you might want to be in finance and your perspective is investment banks, um, equity funds, venture capital, and that's it. But there are a lot of roles that are 
finance roles in a variety of different industries that we never even think of. You know, uh, I will help students and young professionals who are exploring national security career paths. And everyone thinks of, you know, probably three alphabet agencies, but you know, there's, there's 17 of them. And even when you take the military branches out of, out of the equation, there's a lot of them out there that no one has thought of or considered. And so I, I do think figure out the things, the values, and then the rest of it will take care of itself because you might find the example that you used was, what was it? Waste? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Recycling. Waste management, recycling. You may never have thought about that, but once you actually talk to people doing the kinds of things, the, the financial things, you might realize, actually, this is a great company. I'm actually doing interesting financial work. And you know, you'll care a lot less as, oh, it's waste management. Hang on. It might be a multi-million dollar multinational company with this awesome career path that just happens to have a core business in waste management. And that's sadly one of the things that I think you can, that kind of perspective just comes with life experience and learning to care a lot less what other people think. Yeah. I think that's a really great place to kind of, talk about and maybe wrap up is how much of your time is spent helping people care less about what other people think. Cause I know when I was a kid, when I was coming out of high school, it wasn't just, what do I want? It is what are people going to think of me? What creates, like, I feel like, I'll, especially, you know, again, that's a like harp on social media and things like that, but it's such a prevalent part of, of, of the, of the, experience at this point, mm-hmm. you know, how much of that is spent around helping young adults get clear on who they are and being comfortable living in that space. Cause I think that's a really vulnerable place for people to have to get. And it's not always easy. No, I was going to say, sometimes it's a pretty unpleasant experience because you, you have to kind of wrestle with your decisions and some of those decisions were good. Not all of them. Not all of them. Uh, maybe you made some poor choices. Maybe, maybe you ended a relationship with an employer poorly, mm-hmm. uh, and you have to take responsibility for that. Uh, so it's it's not a pleasant experience. Uh, I just lost my train of thought. Happens to me all the time. This is what editing is for. <laughs> Sometimes we just leave it in to go, you know, yeah, what? I just, I just lost we my train of thought. Also have no idea what we're doing sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Can you remind me what was the question? It'll come back to me. Um, Just curious about like, how much time do you spend working you. with young adults, helping them figure out who they are and being comfortable with it? Yes. So I think it's a huge piece of it to be really honest with you, but it's, it takes, it takes a lot of relational credibility. So I have people that I work with where they just want, hey, this is what I want to do. Tell me how to get there. And then we can come up with a plan for that. I have other people who will say, I'm thinking about these things. Help me filter this through so that I can figure out which of these options is the best fit. Sure. I have other options. uh, Sorry, other uh, clients and young professionals who are really just trying to unpack like what on, what on earth should I be doing? I have no, no idea. And that's where you, and this is the fun part is getting to build a relationship with them where they essentially give you permission 
to kind of give some more of that direct guidance. Um, so I'd, I'd say it's a substantial part of what I do. Yeah. Yeah. That's but it awesome. takes, it takes time. It's not kind of the thing that you resolve Yeah. in three, three meetings. Yeah. I think that's the hard part for so many people is like getting, getting clarity on what they want and then building the confidence to own that, whether that's within their friend circle, within their social media, within their parents, you know, whatever that is to be able to say, I know that you wanted me to be a doctor. I want to be something completely different and, and having building the trust to like say, Hey, I'm going to go play in this space for a little bit. And if it doesn't work out, maybe I do go back and do the other thing. And, and I also think there's a huge role for just being uncomfortable. You know, like, like I used the example before is I thought I'd go off and leave school and apprentice as a chef until I realized like, Oh, these hours, are, these hours are kind of rough. And uh, my boss is always, you know, there's always a lot of yelling and screaming in a kitchen. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh, this is, this is not for me. And I guess the point is you have to sometimes get to a place where you're just not willing to keep up appearances anymore before you have the mindset to say, I I actually don't, I actually don't care. I'm doing this for me. And you might want me to go off and have this career, or you might think that me pursuing this sport or this interest or listening to this band is uncool. I I don't, I don't care. And, and, that sometimes just comes with maturity. I, I remember talking to some young professionals who were about to turn 30 and they were just freaking out about it. And I just remember sharing my experience of when you, when you get to a certain age, you start to see other people's opinions for, for what they are. And you realize unless you're somebody in my circle who I trust and respect and your opinion directly affects me, you just have to learn to let go a little bit because, you know, everyone wants to be liked by people, right? But the reality is you can't be liked by everybody. And sometimes yeah. they're going to like you for totally unknown reasons. You may, you might just have worn a shirt that they found annoying, <laughs> right? you know, or you just might've rubbed them the wrong way. You, you just can't get hung up on that. And, and yeah. that's freeing. I think you also have to be willing to step back and say, Hey, did I do something that I could correct in the future? But just generally speaking, I think there's a freedom that comes with caring a lot less about what other people think. But I also don't have Facebook. I, you know, my, my podcast has an Instagram account, but you know, you've got to kind of be willing to pull back to get that perspective sometimes. Yeah. Let's talk about the podcast. Tell So you have a podcast that I keep butchering because it's the professionists. Yes, the professionists podcast. And uh, I keep looking up the professional list because my brain <laughs> is not. So um, I definitely want to talk about the podcast and what what's the intention there? What kind of guests do you have? Uh, the podcast really came out of a lot of the things that we've talked about today. So having this very narrow list of careers that represented success and exploring all of the careers that are out so outside of that really short list that people have in mind. Uh, a desire to want to equip not just college students and young professionals, but mid-career and even late-career professionals with some of those skills that can be helpful at any stage of the career. So I want to shift. So how do I build a network in this new industry? Or I don't have a mentor. How do I go about finding one? And then we also talk to people who 
are really experienced in their careers and we we talk about their journeys and explore lessons they've learned, mistakes they've made, uh, what their own journey to that particular career was like. And so that's the general gist and the intent of the podcast. Uh, It's been fun to talk to a real spectrum of people. So for example, we talk with Andrew Bustamante, who's a retired CIA field operative. And we talk about, you know, how to get what you want in the workplace. And in season two, he's going to come back and we're going to crack open the book on the CIA's guide to mental toughness. Uh, we talked to a, a diplomat with nearly 20, sorry, with nearly 30 years of experience, a nurse practitioner, a management consultant, uh, a, a technical recruiter. And so the idea is that we explore all these different professions. We explore um, soft skill development and we explore the journeys of experienced professionals. Season one is up uh, and out right now. So you can find it on all those platforms. Uh, and then season two will come out at the end of the summer. And in that season, we're going to be talking to private investigators, uh, wine industry professionals, other healthcare Love professionals. It. So lots of really interesting conversations uh, coming up. We're on uh, LinkedIn at The Professionists Podcast uh, and also on YouTube at the same name. Uh, and then we're also on linked, sorry, on uh, Instagram at The Professionists. Fantastic. I dig it, man. Thank you so much for spending some time with me today. And Absolutely. Unpacking. This was a super fun conversation. I love just jumping in and, and seeing where it goes. And it's always fascinating. And it's always great content and info. Um, we'll put all links to all that stuff in the show notes. And then, and, and thank you for sharing it to your, to your listeners as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, let's, let's do it again. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to. I, I think, I've, I've enjoyed it and uh, would be more than happy to come back on if, if you think people would be interested. Yeah, I love it, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah.